All right, well, good morning, y'all. Let's, uh, let's pray first before we dive into God's Word, okay? Father, thank you so much for uh, bringing us here this morning. Um, Lord, as we just sang, may we behold you this morning. Father, your Word, it is piercing in its message. It's encouraging in its message. Father, speak to us as you desire this morning, Lord. Um, Lord, we love you. But we can love you only because you've invited us in invite us into you. We love you only because you first loved us, Father. So we praise you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, good morning. How are we doing? I got one. All right, Kyle, me and you, we're good to go. All right, sweet. All right, well, listen, it is, well, first of all, Abby, Jessica, thank you so much. Uh, Look, Guys, um, there, there's not a more proud father-in-law on this planet, so thank you. Thank you guys for leading us to the throne of our father this morning. What a privilege it is to be with you guys. Uh, I tell you, it it's kind of weird to be up here preaching in our son's local church here. That's uh, both humbling, amazing that God would raise him to be the man he's become. Um, but, uh, but guys, it's, it's so encouraging too. Let me tell you this. Every time Jennifer and I and, and the kids, we come down here and, and just see what God is doing in your midst and see what he's doing through each of you. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling to see a group, a small group that's growing and becoming larger in number, but, but deeper in Christ. And so thank you. Thank you for your obedient service to him. Thank you for your treasuring of him uh, in your life and and, uh, what he is bringing you to do and to be for the city of Milledgeville and beyond, right? That's what it's all about. It's not just about you. It's not about us. It's about what God desires to do in and through us for the city of Milledgeville and for this world. And that's what we're going to see this morning in Genesis chapter 15. As as Bailey said, um, you know, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the book of Psalms this morning. Um, thank you, Kyle, for, for letting me do this, because back in Alpharetta, we are walking through the book of Genesis this summer. You know, we're walking through the beginning, the beginning of the beginnings. What does it mean you know, as a follower of Christ, as the local church, as the body to begin? Where do we begin? It's important to understand that, because if we don't understand where we began as, as a human, as a human being, being created in the image of God, but more importantly, being saved by God, if we don't understand who we once were, then we're never going to get and understand who we are to be in Christ. So Genesis 15 this morning, as, as Bailey said, and I've titled this message this morning simply, God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his word. And I think as we look through this chapter, as I read through this chapter, there was one very common theme that stood out to me, and it's simply this. God is faithful and can be fully trusted. God is faithful and can be fully trusted. Why? Because he is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his word, completely faithful. So as you guys have been walking through the book of Psalms, I know through the faithful teaching of Kyle and Bailey and Tyler here at the Branch Milledgeville, what you've come to see and understand is the book of Psalms is a beautiful, beautiful word to us. It's a beautiful 
reminder and glimpse into who the person of God is. And what does that lead us to do? When we, when we see God, when we know God, what it leads us to do is to worship God. And that's what the book of Psalms leads us to do. It's what the entire book of the Bible does, but specifically Psalms, to worship him. Look, it's, it's what God desires the most, right? It's not that God desires the most to save many in this world, to, to redeem many for himself, he does that for one great simple purpose, to be worshipped. That's what he desires. So in the book of Genesis this morning, in chapter 15, where we'll get to, but before we get there, let's kind of step through Genesis quickly first. Uh, I promise we're not going to be here too, too long. We certainly won't be here as long as Kyle and Bailey keep you here. So maybe, I'm not going to promise it, but... So the book of Genesis, right, it's, it's the beginning, as I said. Uh, we get to see how God, through Christ himself, created this world and, and everything that was in it, right? Everything that is in it, to include us. But what we also see, unfortunately, is that we rebel from a holy God. So Genesis 1 through 11, we see that. We see that humanity ran from God. We see it in the Garden of Eden, Right? Adam and Eve, thank you, Adam, thank you, Eve. But here's the thing, we would be just like them, okay? So when it's their fault, it's our fault too. But when you read in, in Genesis 3, we're drawn really uh, by many teachers that we've heard in the past or maybe even present today, we're drawn to that piece of fruit that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it's not about a piece of fruit, right? It's not that they ate a piece of fruit and here comes sin into the world, as we call it in, in the church, the fall. Here's the crux of the matter. Adam and Eve doubted and they did not trust the word of God. That's where humanity got in trouble. They did not trust God. They did not trust his word. So that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 15 this morning. See, Abram, he's not yet named Abraham, but this is the same Abraham. Abram, Abraham, same man, same person. But in Genesis 15, what we're going to see here this morning and understand is, yes, Abram worshiped God. He worshiped God. He was with God, but he also doubted God. And we know that, that he, what we're going to see here is he, he doubts the word of God, much like Adam and Eve did. Uh, we know that he doubted the prophetic word he received from God to have a son from his wife, Sarah, that, that they would birth a son. And from that son would become many, 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 so many that what? Abram, go look outside. We'll read this morning. Look up at the sky. See the stars. And be thankful that you can see the stars here in Milledgeville because up in big old Alpharetta Roswell, we can't see that many, okay? But Abram, go outside, look at the stars. I'm going to make you many, many nations, many peoples. But he doubted God. He ran from God. Adam and Eve ran from God. Guys, we run from God. We were running from God before he saved us, before he reached down to us, before he pursued us. In our life in Christ, we will run from God. 
We will. We do. If not every day, multiple times in the week, in the month, in the years we will have on this earth, we will run. But here's the great thing we know about our God. Just as he did for Adam and Eve, just as we will say, see that he did for Abram, we must know that he does for us today. He pursues us. He is a pursuing God. He is a loving Father. He desires us. He wants us. And that's what we'll see. Look, Revelation 21 details it. There will come a day when all these nations that God created through the seed of Abraham, that God has saved, there will come a day when we will all, each of us, many tongues, many nations, many peoples, bow at the feet of our Lord and Savior and worship Him. So as we dive into Genesis 15 this morning, we're going to start first with that main point, that God is faithful and can be fully trusted because He is faithful to His Word. So look with me at verse 1 in Genesis 15 here. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Seems like you guys have been talking about that a little bit here. Fear not, God says, Abram. Why? I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So what do we see immediately in verse 1? A little basic Bible study here. What are these first words we see? After these things. After these things. So when you're studying God's word, you see after these things or therefore. What was the therefore, therefore? Well, after these things, we have to immediately look back to Genesis 14. Why, what, what is God leading us to here? Well, back in Genesis 14, what we read is there was a great battle that occurred. A great battle. And Abram went out and gathered his 318 men and went and battled and fought and won that battle. We see this in Genesis 14, verses 15 and 16, where it says, And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobod, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Then reading further in Genesis 14, we discovered that the king of Sodom well, he wasn't very satisfied with Abram's success. He didn't like it too much. So he comes to Abram, and he wanted at least some of what Abram had retrieved. What he wanted was the people. He wanted the people that Abram had rescued and recovered. The king offered to Abram all the victor spoils from the battle. Keep all the possessions, he said. Keep all that you can hold in your hands. Keep all that you won from your hands. But listen to Abram's response in uh, chapter 14, verses 22 through 24. Abram says, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, he says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high. See, Abram, in an act of obedience, in an act of obedient worship here, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, it's not me who possesses these things I've won in battle. It is God who's given them to me. Why? Because they are his to possess. He goes on that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, king of Sodom, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing 
But what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, let Aner, Eskel, and Mamer take their share. And that's good, right? That's a good thing. Abram's doing a good thing here, isn't he? He's proclaiming faith to God. He's proclaiming that, you know, yeah, hey, I won out. I won, went out and won the battle. I retrieved this people and all this possessions. You know, I'm the man. That's not what we read here, is it? There's no prideful, selfish ambition. There's worship. There's obedience. There is servanthood to a holy God. But, unfortunately, Abram doesn't stay there too, too long. Here's the thing, and here's what we see in Abram communicating this. Our greatness is not achieved nor received from or by anything in this world. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we must not look to anything in this world, not job, not child, not spouse, not house, not car, not college diplomas, nothing in this world, nothing in this world that would achieve our greatness. Why? Because our greatness is found in our greatest reward. Our greatness is found in our greatest reward, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. He is our reward. Not just our reward, he is our everything. Everything. So God appears to Abram in a vision, whether in his Shekinah glory or some other sense of the presence of his divine glory, he appears to Abram. And what is it that God communicates to Abram? Here in verse 1, and don't jump ahead in the verse and pass it by because the first thing he communicates to him is what? His word. This is the spoken word of God to Abram. Can the word of God be trusted? Can it be trusted? Now look, we, if we were to ask one another that here this morning on a Sunday morning where God has brought us together to worship together as the church, what would we say? Yes. Yes, absolutely God's word can be trusted. But do we live in a manner that says, that proclaims, that shouts, I trust the word of God. I believe God. I trust him. I rest in him. I abide in him. Do our lives reflect that? Here, God gives three assurances to Abram in this word, in verse 1. First, he gives Abram freedom from the evil forces of this world and of self. God exclaims to Abram, fear not, Abram, fear not. Now, look, is it possible for us living in this human flesh, stained by the stain of sin, though rescued by God's grace, being in Christ, being saved by God, is it possible still, is it possible to have zero fear in our lives? that we never fear, we never doubt, we never question. Is that possible? No, no, it's not. Why? Why? Because we live in these bodies. We live in these sin-stained fleshly bodies. You know, look, I, I want a better body. I want a different body, but I've got the one I've got, and unfortunately, it's wearing a nasty clothing of sin right now. So here's the thing. We're all going to fear. We're all going to struggle with doubt, anxiety. We are going to fear, but we don't have to be overcome by that fear. 
God here is not telling Abram, also, don't fear me, because as Kyle appropriately taught you all last week, there's one we should fear above all, and that is God, God himself. So God is not communicating this to Abram. What God is communicating to Abram is, hey, look, those four kings back in Genesis 14, those kings that you defeated, hey, don't fear that they're going to come after you and defeat you. Don't fear that they're going to come after you and take your life and the life of Lot and everybody you've, you've you recovered from the war. Don't fear that. If we as followers of Jesus are so fearful in this world of the things of this world, then we will never share the gospel as he desires. We will never be the obedient servants he has saved us to be. Look, there is a city waiting outside these doors for you. The city of Milledgeville needs you. It needs faithful, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. It needs faithful carriers of the gospel. It needs you. When you walk out of these doors on a Sunday morning and you live your lives Monday through Saturday, that you are faithfully representing Christ where you live, where you work, where you play, where you go to school, in your classes. God calls Abram by name. He calls him by name. Why is this important? Well, it had to bring a tremendous level of assurance to Abram, right? This is the holy God, as Abram knew, the holy God calling me, Abram, by name. It's also tremendous assurance for us, shouldn't it be, as a follower of Jesus? Look, you can point to those times in your life when you've been comforted by God, when you have felt his touch, his voice, now maybe not audibly, but I'm not going to say it's impossible, where you have felt his comforting touch, when you've heard his voice, that tremendous sense of comfort and assurance defeating doubts and fears in your life. And look, this, this is the most important thing that distinguishes us from any other religion in this world, isn't it? That R word, relationship. It, it, it's the word that we could boil the entirety of Scripture down to, relationship. We get to have that personal, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with a holy God. Charles Spurgeon once said, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn your eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. See, God tells Abram first, fear not, Abram. Don't fear what's outside of me, what's outside of this relationship you have in me, I have with you. Don't fear the outside stuff. Then he calls him by name and, and furthers, why, don't, why should you not fear Abram? Because I'm in you. You are in me. I am yours. You are mine. Don't fear what's outside the walls of this church. Don't fear sharing the gospel with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your professors. Look, I get the same lump in my throat when I think about walking across the street and sharing the gospel with the neighbors we've lived across from for 20 years now. We know them. They know us. 
But yes, I fear that. I fear doing that. I, I have fear in sharing the gospel with my coworkers at work. But we cannot be overcome with fear to the point where we become totally, totally useless to our holy God. And then God offers protection in this world and the greatest joy to come to Abram. God tells Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. See, look, God, as our great shield, positions us to communicate the gospel to all peoples without fear of anything in this world. He is our shield. He is our protector. Look, the worst thing that can happen to us as a child of God is what? It's death, and that is not a bad thing as a child of God. We know that. God's going to remind Abram of that as we walk through Genesis 15 here. Part of his great reward is the fact that if those four kings were to come and they were to come back to Abram and kill him, guess what, Abram? You're with me, man. You get to be with me forever. And that's us too. Abram had generously refused the, word, the reward rather offered to him by the king of Sodom. What of this reward, again, spoken by God? Well, we know that God greatly rewarded Abram with not only his son Isaac, but with so many people that rivaled even the number of stars in the sky, but there is that even greater reward. As we live our lives, as we seek to be obedient to our Lord and Savior, as we seek to abide in Christ, as we seek to love Him more and more and more each day and do what He commands us to do in His Word, our mind must be kept on two things. One, what we learn in the beginning of Genesis, that without God, without God pursuing us, without God saving us, we would be a desperate, wretched individual running headlong to hell. Reminding ourselves of that every day, but also reminding ourselves that in God pursuing us, in God saving us, that look, I don't have to fear going and sharing the gospel with those across the street that live in those houses that we look outside the windows and the doors here. I don't have to fear that. Why? Because there is a great reward that awaits me. There is a great reward that awaits me in heaven. And why do I want to share? Because I want them to know that they can have the same. We have to desperately want others to know that fact. To desperately want others to worship a holy God with us. All right, next, let's look at verses 2 through 6, where we see that God is the supreme comforter amidst our faithless doubts. In those verses we read, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I mean, look at that. Here's Abram, right? We read it in the end of chapter 14, being the obedient servant that God has, has claimed him to be, worshiping God. We read Abram turning back the king of Sodom, saying, no, no, dude, I, I don't need what you can give me. God's already given me everything I can ever have in himself. And now here we read it. What will you give me, God? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. 
and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, here it is again, the word, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Impossible to do, by the way. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram should have been comforted by the word of the Lord. He should have been comforted by the act of the Lord and helping him win that battle, recovering Lot and all the other people and everything else that came with it. This word should have dispelled any doubts, any anxieties. You know, God had prophesied to Abram. Let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and uh, chapter 13, verse 16, where we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. By the way, that's why God saves us. Yes, to worship him, but that so we may be a blessing to others, not just to one another, okay? Not just to each other. It's great to have community. It's great to have a loving community, a loving, abiding fellowship with one another. That's wonderful. We should treasure that. But don't be the huddle house, okay? Go out as God sends you out to share his gospel. Verse 3 in Genesis 12, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in 13, verse 16, we read, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So Abram had received this prophecy from God. He had received this prophetic word from God, this promise from God. But look at what Abram exclaims in verse 2. What will you give me? God, what will you give me? And before we start slamming Abram too much here, we we must admit that this is us, isn't it? It's us. I know it's me. We're an impatient people. We want what we want and we want it now. And by golly, I know what I want. And what I want for me is what is best for me, and I know in my own mind what that is. That's me, I know. It's all of us. But what happens when that impatience becomes ungratefulness? What happens then? Listen, God desires that we exclaim our sorrowful cries to him. He desires that we run to him as a child, he desires that we fall at his feet and cry out to him. It's a revelation on our part that we not only desire that good thing from him, whatever that good thing is from him, but that also it is he alone that can give it. It is he alone that can sustain us in it. Is that thing you desire a godly desire in your life? Or is it a desire born of self that seeks to gratify selfish desires? How can we ensure that this thing we desire, whatever or whoever it is, that it is a desire born of God? How can we be assured of that? Well, we see it here in Genesis 15. It begins with the Word of God. It begins with God's Word that we get the pleasure of holding in our hands. Not everybody in the world can. 
mind you, but we do. We get to hold this word in our hands. We get to read it, and by the Holy Spirit's leading, we get to understand it. We can get confirmation of the things that God desires for us from his word. First, we must also shower any desire, any longing, any anything we want, anyone we want to be in relationship with in prayer. Why prayer? Well, in prayer to God, we submit to God. Remember, prayer is not going to God and saying, God, give me $10 million. Who wouldn't want that, right? We'd all make it good use, wouldn't we? We would do right by it, obviously. It's not, God, give me the perfect woman to marry or man to marry. When we go to God in prayer, it's us submitting to God. It's us submitting to the will of God. We begin to say, to think, to dream those desires that are truly for our good, truly for our good, and ultimately those things, that person, those relationships that will bring glory to God alone, not me. Listen, Abraham's desire here for a child, it's a good desire, isn't it? Isn't the desire for a child a good thing? Especially as a follower of Christ, we want to have children to pass on the gospel to that they may go on and do the same in this world. So it's a good thing that Abram wants, but when do these even good desires become bad things in our lives? When they exceed our desire for God. Our greatest desire in our life must be for God, not the creation of God, but God himself. Notice the response of God beginning in verse 4. It's not a condemnation. Look at that. It's not God condemning Abram. It's not God giving Abram a good old-fashioned spanking. It's not a beatdown to a doubting child. Mind you, it is a doubting child that God is addressing here. It's grace. The sovereign grace of Almighty God, when we fall before God, broken, defeated, wilting under the sorrow of letdowns, failures, struggles, to be the obedient servant we've been saved to be, when we fall at his feet under the pain of physical or mental suffering, when we fall before God and say, God, please, please help me, he is there to lift us up in his grace, holding us as the loving father he is. To us as children. God is there to proclaim, I have you. You are mine. In verses 4 and 5, we see the word shall communicated by God to Abram three times, underscoring that it either absolutely will or absolutely will not be. This absolutely will happen or this absolutely will not happen. God is reassuring Abram not only that he is his, but that what he has promised, he will do. What he promised him back in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Abram, guess what? I will accomplish it, and it will happen as I said it would. God's word is trustworthy. Then in verse 5, we read that the Lord brought him, Abram, outside. Why is this significant? Yes, we read the following words concerning the number of stars. God tells him to look up to, and so shall Abram's offspring be. But there is a deeper significance here. Sometimes to shake us from our sorrowful state, 
God moves us outside. Sometimes to shake us from our hurting, our struggle, our strife, our pain, our suffering, our sorrowful state, whatever it may be, God moves us outside. God moves us out from the place of strife in our life. God moves us out from the struggle, from the hurt, from the pain. Now listen, I'm not saying God's going to remove it. I'm not saying God's going to take it away. That's not what he promises, but he does promise relief in himself. I can give testimony. Listen, as Bailey said this morning, and, and as, as I've talked to men and, and others about, I have this great desire that I believe God has given me to me to preach his word. I have the great desire to do it full time, to do it all the time, to do it everywhere, anywhere, to any people. That's not a bad desire to preach his word, especially if it be given by God. But I struggle. Well, God, if you've given me this desire to preach your word, why am I still in this IT job that I've been in for 20 years? Why am I still in this cubicle? Why do I have to drive to downtown Atlanta four days a week to do this? Why can't I do that? Preaching your word is a good thing, God. I believe you've given me this desire. Now, who knows if I have the actual gift and talent to do so. That's not for me to say. But the desire is there to preach his word. It's not a bad desire. But when I struggle with this, when I begin to get so self-consumed in becoming a full-time vocational pastor, a full-time preacher of God's word, what about becoming a full-time missionary? I fully believe God's going to call some of you to go out and to be full-time, maybe on a foreign field, for him. That's not a bad thing either right? It's not a bad thing to desire. You know, kids, those of you that are much, much younger than I am, okay? It's not a bad thing to desire to go out, to be sent out by God to share his gospel. You know, being over in India this year in January, and praise God it's not hot in January in India, but being over there and seeing some of the young kids who are serving with the IMB, sharing gospel in that land. That's not a bad thing to want to do for God. But here's the reminder for us. When my desire to preach his word, your desire to go out and be on mission for him, when it becomes greater than him, when it becomes greater than our desire for Jesus Christ, when it becomes greater than our love for him, when my love to communicate his word becomes greater than my love for my Lord and Savior, it's bad. It's wrong. God sometimes takes me out to do a three, four, or six, or eight mile run. He's having me do three full marathons, and that's stupid. Don't ever do it. Okay? But God takes us out. He removes us from the struggle that we're in, the battle, the doubt, the questioning, the anxiety. He takes us out for a moment. He leads us 
leads me on a run to become so mentally and physically exhausted that all I can do is just cling to him to get through it, okay? Especially doing 26.2 miles, and the .2 matters a whole lot, okay? He leads us to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, what he does when he leads us out, what he did for Abram when he led him out of that hut, of that house, to look up and gaze at the stars that Christ himself had created. What he did is he removed Abram from himself. We can become so enamored with what I want in my mind that I believe is a heart desire from God that I become so, so entangled and enslaved in me that I don't see God, that I don't hear God that I don't love God as much as I should, that I don't treasure Christ as much as I should, that I don't treasure His Word as much as I, as I should, that I don't read His Word, study His Word, memorize His Word, communicate His Word, not just on a Sunday morning, but to the, to the guy sitting beside me at the cubicle at work. It's the same for each of us. God takes Abram out. He takes us out from these struggles in our life for even a momentary, albeit time, to see him, to remember who he is in our lives. We then come to verse 6, and one of the more popular verses we find in the Bible that's, that's repeated fairly often. This verse is quoted four times in the New Testament, but it's a very pivotal point in the life of Abram. This is a moment where Abram relents all to God. When we read the words, he believed the Lord, this belief is not just some surface level belief, okay? This is not a belief that, oh, these chairs that you sit in, it's going to hold you up. It's going to keep you upright. It's not the belief that Alabama is going to vanquish Clemson in, in the national championship game this year. It's not the belief that I have that, that my Dallas Cowboys are going to once again hoist the Super Bowl trophy and the world will be right, so right as God desires it to be, okay? That's not the belief we're talking about here. This is belief. This is surrender. This is trusting that the Lord is good. That the Lord has just reassured him, that what the Lord has just reassured him of, that he has promised, it is the Lord, that by the Lord it will be accomplished. It's okay, God, I trust you. I have to relent to you. This is not Abram saying that, oh, well, I'm not lo no longer going to doubt. I'm no longer going to have anxieties and struggles and pains and sufferings. But it's Abram saying, okay, God. I'm going to relent. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to trust in you. And this boils down to one word, doesn't it? Faith. Before Abram accomplished anything righteous, it is God who declares him to be righteous. You see that, right? It is God who declares him to be righteous. Abram does not declare to God, well, God, I am a righteous man. I have done good in your sight. It's God who declares Abram righteous. This is a picture of our salvation, our surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our faith is born of God. Our salvation is by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
our faith, just as Abram's faith here, is proven in the crisis we face in this life, isn't it? Let's think for a moment. If we never had to struggle in this life, if we never had to doubt, if we never were anxious, if we never questioned God, what would we be? I think we read about those people in God's Word. They're called Pharisees. They're called people who become so, so, so full of themselves and so enamored with themselves that they lose sight of who God is. The struggles in our life, the pain in our life, the anxieties in our life, the doubts that we have, the questions that we will ask God, they're for a purpose. That main purpose is to draw, him, draw us back to Him, that we see Him for who He is, our everything. And then closing it out here in Genesis 15, we see in verses 7 through 21, God covenanting with Abram, God promising beyond promising that I will do this for you, will do this for you, Abram. Let's start in verses 7 through 11 here. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Look, I'll just confess here right off, straight up. I, I'm not the one who's going to cut animals in half. I would have to pull somebody else in to do that for me. That, that's not going to be me. But here Abram does this. Notice here what it is that God is accomplishing for Abram. First, we see once again, what do we see? That God proclaims himself to Abram as, I am the Lord. It's another constant reminder in Abram's life who God is. And not just who God is, who God is for Abram himself. And because I am the Lord of all, I can supply what I am promising to you. I can make this happen. Because in doing so, I will be glorified by you, by many. And here's the point. God never promises more than he can or will provide. We get that, right? God never promises more than he can or will provide. Do you trust God? Do you trust that what he has said he will give to you, he will give to you? He will not take away the relationship you have in him. He will not stop sustaining you to the end such that you won't have eternity with him. Do you trust God? Do you trust him to the point to be the obedient servant he has called you to be? He is trustworthy. Why? Because he is God. There is no one on this earth who will not fail us Get that. There is no one on this earth who will not fail you. Father, mother, husband, wife, 
son or daughter, best friend, all at one time or, not, or another will fail you. They will fail you. They will fail you. Jennifer and I have been married for, will be 25 years this October. 25 years. I don't know how she has done it. But I can tell you that by God's grace, and as the Lord desires, it will happen. But I will also tell you, speaking for myself in our relationship, there have been many, many times that I have let her down. Do not trust fully in the relationships you have on this earth. Don't do it. And for those of us that are married in this room, a little counseling for you, for us. When we look to our spouse as the God of our life, when we look to our spouse as the one who can supply all our needs, to, to supply all our desires, then we are making our spouse our functional God. That is not what God desires in our relationships with one another. God desires us for himself, and he desires that we look to him. God then promises something different to Abram, not a child, but land. God promises Abram land. God here jogs the memory of Abram, no doubt. Remember that from which I brought you, I rescued you. This is the effectual call of God to Abram. God did not bring all peoples out from Ur of the Chaldeans, but he brought his people. He brought Abram. He desired Abram. He desired his people because he had chosen from before the foundation of this earth that through Abram, through his seed, would be the line from which Jesus Christ himself would come. God glories in saving Abram, his calling him out from the persecution that was Ur of the Chaldeans. God glories in saving you. He finds great pleasure in calling you out of your sin slumber and into new life in Christ. He glories in doing that. And here's the promise of land, why it is so important. Why land? Why, why land, God? Why are you promising me land? Because God is fulfilling his promise from the beginning. Not only the man would inherit the land, but guess what? Okay, God, if you're giving me all this people, if you're going to birth this massive amount of people from my seed, well, guess what? There has to be a place for them to live, for them to abide for them to fellowship with one another, and then for them to go out and communicate God's love to others. When we read here that Abram desired a sign from God to essentially prove that he would do what he said in giving him this land and in giving him what God is promising him here, we must understand that this is not doubting faith from Abram. Earlier, we saw doubting faith from Abram. Here, we don't see that. What we see here, rather, is this is Abram doing here, what he's doing here rather, is asking the Lord, he's, he's crying out to God, help me, help me, Lord, with my unbelief. Help me to believe, help me to believe, help my frailty as mere man to believe, to see, to know, to trust in who you are. What we see next is a beautiful picture of not only tradition, uh, this tradition 
of sacrificing these animals leading to the covenant which God made with Abram. This is a beautiful picture of the sacrifice that would be made by Christ himself leading up to and on the cross. Now this tradition, this, it was very common in that day. The taking of these animals, cutting them in half, dra then dragging one half that was cut over to the other side, thereby what? Leaving a trail of blood between the two halves. These two parties, seeking to make covenant with one another, would then pass through the divided animal halves, walking on what? The blood, the sacrificial blood, symbolizing the covenantal agreement between the parties. Let's look real quick here at the, at the definition for the word covenant. Covenant, it's an agreement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Mutual obligations especially the arrangement that established the relationship between God and his people expressed in grace first with Israel and then with the church. The key part of this definition here, two parties with mutual obligations. These parties obligated to one another to do something. Further, the essence of covenant is to be found in a particular kind of relationship between persons. Mutual obligations characterize that kind of relationship. Thus, a covenant relationship is not merely a mutual acquaintance, but a commitment to responsibility and to action. An obligation to responsibility and to action. See, here's the thing about this ritual, this traditional covenantal process. The parties passing through these divided animals, walking across this spilt blood, the sacrificial blood, if any of them, if any of the parties were to break the covenant, then that person is held liable and is to be treated just as the animals were treated. Get that. If either of the party breaks this covenant, they're to be treated as the animals were treated. We see this in particular, in Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 18 and 19, where we read, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing to think about, to consider. Before we see the covenant maker at work, we read a distressing image given by God as Abraham slept. In verses 12 through 16, we read in, in Genesis 15, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And that is an approximate number, 400. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here, Abram is ha- the, the dream, rather, that Abram is having here is not just some nightmare, okay? A deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It's not just some nightmare you may have. This is a horrible, dreadful feeling that overcomes Abram, a feeling of absolute terror, horror that came over him as he slept there. What was it that brought about this dread? It's the prophecy that God gave to him here. You know, God, you're giving me all these peoples. You're giving me this, this many peoples that's going to outnumber the stars of the sky, the dust on the ground that I see, the grains of sand. You're giving me all this people. Now you're telling me that this people are going to suffer and suffer greatly. For over 400 years, they're going to suffer greatly. They're going to be enslaved. Now, obviously, God is talking about here the exodus where God will eventually send them out to sojourn with him in the wilderness. Now, these events would occur some six to eight hundred years after this prophecy by God to Abram. Some six to eight hundred years later. The people that God is talking about that he will send into slavery and then send out into the wilderness some six to eight hundred years later. This land, the promised land, the land of Canaan was looked at as a kind of heaven on earth. It was a precious land. And it was the land God had promised to the seed of Abram, the Israelites. But before they would inherit the land, they would, there would be suffering, hardship, struggle, They would be brought to a point where they could do nothing but cry out to God. And it would be God who would, by his sovereign grace, provide the exodus for them, bring them to the promised land, and bless them beyond measure. Consider our life on this earth. It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's not always pleasing. It's certainly not always easy. All right, just wait till... If God blesses you, you are married and you have children. Kids, I love you. But life is not always easy. It's not easy to be married to your spouse. It's not easy to be in a relationship with your best friend. It's not easy to have that job that you may dislike so much that you just want to quit today. It's not easy to wear this sin-stained flesh. But... There's a time coming. This is momentary. This will not last. For in due time, we will inherit our promised land, the promised land. We will live for eternity in heaven with our God. We will one day see the beautiful picture that we read in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and he will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For former things have passed away. Look, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know the struggle, the pain, the suffering. I don't know. But take heart and know that one day, Revelation 21 will be real. It will be complete. No more struggle. No more pain. No more doubt. Look at verses 17 through 21 as we wrap up in Genesis 15. We read, When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire and a smoking fire pot, rather, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, there's a lot of ites there, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. A lot of ites. But here God covenants with Abraham. He swears to Abraham. He promises to Abraham. He obligates himself to do this that he promises Abraham. It was time. Time for God to establish this covenant with Abram. Remember just a moment ago as we were talking about this tradition, this process set forth in making the covenant between parties. Remember what would occur to the individual or individuals who broke the covenant, who did not hold to the obligation that they promised. They would become just as the animals who were cut off, dismembered, dismembered rather, bled out. Look back to verse 12 in, in Genesis 15. The first portion of that verse we read, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Why? It's not just so that God could give Abram this prophetic vision of the struggle, the strife, the pain that his people would go through. We see it more clearly here why God put Abram under this deep sleep. You see, God knew that he would be the one that would have to be the one to be the covenant maker, to be the one to pass between these animal halves over the blood that was spilled. He knew that Abram would be completely incapable of keeping the covenant. He knew that. He knew Abram would break that covenant, and he did not desire what would happen to Abram in that. This is a beautiful picture, obviously, of what Jesus did for us. It was our death penalty we deserved that he died. We deserved the scourging. We deserved the beating. We deserved everything that, that was done to our Lord and Savior. We deserved that death on that cross. That is our death. That is our cross. We deserve that. But God knew that any sacrifice we could make, any sacrifice I could make, would never be successful in giving us the life that we must have in Christ. There's another promise given to us by Jesus that we find in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've been given a very great commission from our Lord and Savior, one apart from him that would be impossible. It would be utterly impossible. You know, Jesus, you're telling us, go make disciples of a peoples from every people group in this world, from every nation, every land, from India to Africa to Pakistan to Iran to Iraq to Milledgeville, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia. Make a disciple of every people in every land. Apart from Christ, this is impossible. It is utterly impossible. And it is utterly useless for us to go out and do it. But what do we see here? In this final command that Christ gives before he ascends to the Father in heaven, he gives us a promise. What's the promise? He is with us always, even to the end of the age, even until we pass from this earth where he calls us home. So what are you doubting today? What is it that you're not trusting God to do in or with your life? What is that for you today? Know that he is faithful as he was faithful with Abram, he is faithful with you. Abram is no more special to God than you. He is faithful, and he desires you. Again, I don't know each of you this morning. Do you know the one who has made this covenant, who made this covenant with Abram? Do you know Christ? Does he know you? If you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel message as it's been presented here in Genesis 15. You've heard this. Do you desire to know God if you don't know him? Trust him. Surrender to him. Your pastors, Kyle, Bailey, Tyler, are here to talk to you, to pray with you, to minister to you, to love you. Listen, this life we have in Christ it is difficult. It is painful. It's a struggle. But it's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's wonderful that we can come together on a Sunday morning and be together and worship together. You know, that I can come from a foreign land up north in Atlanta and come here and worship with you and share God's word with you. It's wonderful that we then can go out, to go outside these doors and purpose it in our hearts and minds that when we say we trust God, that we will live and do just as he declares that we should do. And we have one thing to do as a child of God. He leaves us here to complete one single mission. That's to proclaim his gospel and to make disciples of all peoples. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for you for who you are in our lives, who you've promised to be to us. Thank you so much that we can run to you as a doubting child, as a struggling child, as a hurting child. So Father, we proclaim that this morning, that who you are 
first and foremost, you are God. You're the only God. But that you are God to us. So thank you, Father, for being our Father. And Lord, we praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.